and say, I love you, man. Okay, all right. Figured I'd get that out here at the beginning. Well, let me begin by saying this. That if we were really, really honest with each other, I mean kind of a deep down honesty with one another, I think we would all agree that to some extent we are messed up. I mean, wouldn't you say that's true of at least the person sitting beside you? Huh? Yeah. I mean, they're really messed up, right? Now, some of us have actually skipped over the messed up level, and uh, we have catapulted into the next level, which is what I call the whacked out level, okay? And that's just below what is called the nut job level, okay? So I'll decide which one that you think you're at, which level you think you're at, and uh, maybe even more importantly, what level you think the person sitting beside you uh, is at. But seriously, though, there is a lot of hurt and pain in this gymnasium. There's a lot of pain here. In fact, if you've ever had pain in your life, if you've ever been wounded by another person, if you've ever been put down by someone, if you've ever had significant pain in your life, ever in your life, I'd just like you to raise your hand for a second. Go ahead. Now what I want you to do, hold it out there, keep it up, everybody can raise their hand. Look around. Because what I want you to notice is that almost every hand's up. Because we've all experienced some type of pain or hurt in our life. This is a place that is filled with hurt. It's a place filled with pain. But it's also a safe place. Because the jar is a place for hurting people. We said all along, this is not a perfect church. Only imperfect people can come. No perfect people allowed, because we're all imperfect. And so if you're new here for the very first time, you should feel very encouraged right now that you are a part of a larger family of level number three, nut jobs. Okay? Now one of the things that I've learned, though, since we started the jar, is that people will go to great measures to try to cover up their hurt. They'll do anything to cover up their pain. We put on masks. We wear them, we cover things up, we try to avoid hurt at all costs. But when we do this, what happens is eventually we create harmful habits for our lives. And these habits are things that we try to quiet and shut up the kind of pain that's going on underneath them. So this is what happens. Here we are going through life, and all of a sudden we get hurt by somebody else. Or we have just some kind of painful experience in our life because life has painful experiences. But instead of dealing with that hurt, what we do is we try to cover it up. And when we try to cover it up, what often is created is some type of harmful habit. Now we try to disguise our hurt. We try to kind of push our hurt aside, but it still is there. And it really doesn't matter what the habit is that you have now that comes out of that hurt. It might be shopping or drinking or pornography 
or spending or television or lying or overeating, but whatever that habit is, it will not stop screaming and being played out in your life until you deal with the root of it all, and that is your hurt. Now, what a lot of us do is what we say is, well, what I need to do is I need to stop drinking or I need to stop overeating. And so we try to conquer the habit. But no matter how hard you try, when you try to conquer that, if you don't deal with the hurt that is underneath that habit, you'll never be able to be the full person that God intends you to be. And what happens typically is you get rid of that habit, but other things come into your life. Maybe it's an issue of drinking, but all of a sudden things like anger or lying start coming out because you've just covered up the hurt and pain that's underneath it. And the reason this happens is because we never deal with the hurt. Again, we are very good at masking and covering up the pain and hurt in our lives. And what happens is we go through this cycle of hurt, habit, hurt, habit, hurt, habit. So you might be saying, well, where's the good news this morning? I didn't come to church, you know, just to feel kind of discouraged about how I'm messed up. You already called me a nut job bunch. Well, the good news is this, folks. We have choices. We have a life filled with healing choices that you can make. And that with God's help, we can be able to get through any of our hurts and habits and hang-ups, and we can begin to start living in a life filled with abundance and joy and good things that God wants to give. Now today, we're in week three of an eight-long-week series. And we're trying to encourage everyone to get a book. We have 20 left, so if you're here today and you haven't got a book, do that. Uh, Pick up uh, a small group card and fill that out as well. But we want to make sure that everyone begins to start living out these eight choices. And just to make sure that we're all on the same page, that we're all kind of caught up together, I want to kind of review the last two weeks real quick. Now, the first week I spoke on the reality choice, the first choice. And uh, there's kind of a phrase that goes along with that, and I'd like us to read it together. So with your best voice underneath that, starting with the word realize, let's uh, read this together. Realize I'm not God. Admit I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life is unmanageable. Folks, you know what? You are sitting around some people who are control freaks. You are. There are some people who just like to control everything. And some of those people are sitting in your seat. I didn't know if you knew that or not. But you want to control other people. You want to control work. You want to control what your future looks like. But the reality is, your life is just unmanageable. But you haven't admitted it yet. Now for me, this first choice became relatively easy for me to understand and get over. I know I'm not God. You want to know why I'm not God? If I were God, folks, I would not have a schnauz that looks like this. Okay? I mean, I'd have a schnauz that looked like that, you know? But I have one that looks like this. Mine looks more like this from Bert and Ernie, you know? I mean, my daughter, Jordan, 
our oldest daughter, she started calling me Bert. She's Ernie, I'm Bert. I think it's because of the nose, because a couple of weeks ago she got one of her hair scrunchies and she put it on my nose and she goes, Daddy, it fits. <laughs> Folks, I know I'm not God. I am powerless to control my tendency to do wrong on my own will. That's why I can relate so much to a guy in the Bible by the name of Paul who wrote over half the New Testament when he said these words. I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. When I want to do good, I don't. When I try not to do wrong, I can do it anyway. Can anyone relate to that, or am I by myself? I think we all can. Now, last week, we looked at choice number two, the hope choice. And let's read this one together. Earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to Him, and that He has power to help me change. Now last week, Chuck Mock, who's our ministry leader for Celebrate Recovery, uh, spoke on this topic and did a great job. I've been listening to it this week. And if you haven't tried out Celebrate Recovery, just to check it out, I would encourage you to do that. They meet here on Thursdays at 7 o'clock. Any kind of issues that you're going through in your life, um, we're open to try to work through those. And this week is going to be really good because Dr. Greg Gale is going to be uh, the guest speaker, and he's going to be talking about how to have a healthy lifestyle, how to kind of balance body, mind, and spirit, how to have a balanced, healthy life. But Chuck last week kind of led us through this second choice, and we learned that God is head over heels in love with you. He loves you more than you will ever know. And there's nothing you can do to get rid of that love that he has for your life. He even loves people with big schnauzes. I mean, he loves people that much. And he can give us power to change our lives. But simply knowing that God exists, that he cares for you, that he loves you, is not enough. I mean, there are a lot of things that you and I know that we can uh, know about... And maybe that thing cares about us, but does it change our lives? For example, I know that if I can't find it at Walmart, it doesn't exist. (laughs) I know that. But what is that going to do? Is that going to help my life at all? No, not at all. It's not going to do anything for me. So what I'm saying is there's got to be a bigger reason simply than just knowing God exists and that he cares for us. That has changed to uh, empower to change our life. And what that thing is, is the third choice that I'm going to talk about today. And it's the commitment choice. The commitment choice. Everything else that we're going to be talking about. So that's why if you're here for the first time and you haven't got plugged into a small group, you're not behind. Because everything now, from now on, is focused on this step. And it's the commitment choice. Let's read this one together. Consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Now we will spend more time on that phrase, but right now what I want to focus on is the scripture verse that is connected to this choice. It's from Jesus' most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, because he told it on the top of a mountaintop. And as he told it, he said these words, 
Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, when you read that passage, you go, okay, what's a big deal? Sounds good to me. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Well, this is what the big deal was. The audience that Jesus was sharing this with the very first time was a group of people who were religious leaders. They were Jewish religious leaders. And they were arrogant and prideful and spiritually. They thought they were all of it and more. I mean, these people were religious. They walked down roads and they looked religious because they wore all this religious garb. They kept all of the rules, everything to a T. The problem was they just didn't have a relationship with God. They craved power more than anything else. And this Messiah, which is just a word that means the anointed one, that God was going to send an anointed person, a person who was of his choice, who would take control of the world, and they thought that this person would be a person who would destroy the evil empire. But look, Jesus wasn't that person. And so it must have sounded very crazy for them when this Jesus, this meek person, stands up and he tells a a phrase that says, Happy are the meek. Blessed are the meek. You can have a full life if you live a meek life. And these religious leaders were just not into meekness. They didn't want a meek Jesus, kind of this humble Jesus. They wanted this kind of Jesus, a brave heart Jesus. Kind of a kick your butt, let's go out, get blue paint, put it on my face, and cry out, Freedom! But that's not what they got. They wanted a Messiah who would come in and destroy the evil Roman Empire. What they got was a simple carpenter who came not with a physical revolution, but a spiritual revolution that we're talking about 2,000 years later. You see, Jewish leaders didn't understand that Jesus would come with meekness. They thought he would come with power. Power to destroy other people. And they knew that the only way to conquer Rome was if they actually were able to do something physical. You couldn't bring humility and meekness to try to take over the empire. And yet Jesus said, blessed are the meek. I can just imagine this large crowd of people and Jesus is sharing this teaching. Everything, it's an upside down kind of teaching from what the world says to do. And he says, blessed are the meek. And what you need to realize is that there were thousands of people when Jesus was talking, but they didn't have sound systems back then. So what would happen is is the sound would kind of go through the crowd. People would say, what did he say? Did I hear him right? What did he say? And they said, he said, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the what? The meek? What's he talking about? You see, they didn't understand that concept in the first century, how important it was to be meek. But the reality is, I'm not so sure we understand it today. Or maybe we understand it, we just don't like to embrace it. Because meekness has a sense of being weak, 
being puny, being maybe a no account. For example, those of you who are women who are in the marketplace or you're working outside the home, you don't go into work kind of meek and mild like a little butterfly. (laughs) No. When you get into the workplace, because my wife works in the workplace, she doesn't float around. She mixes it up with everyone else. And that's what women who work outside the, the, the home do. You are a part of it. You're just as good as any man that's in that position, and you're working for whatever the promotion is. And how about you men? Those of you who ever played any kind of sport, maybe growing up, and the coach comes up to you and says, Get in the game! And would you be as gentle as a dove? Oh, coaches don't say that. Coaches don't say, I want you to go get the quarterback. Could you nurture him? Could you just kind of care for him after you hit him, help him up, you know? No, it doesn't make sense. You see, meekness kind of rubs us the wrong way. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ or you desire to be one, I want you to know that meekness is not an option. But the original language, when we look at this word meekness, if you just stop at being humble and mild, that's not enough. Because there's a larger definition. Meekness does not mean that you're wimpy or puny. To be a Christian does not mean that you're weak. It does not mean that you have a spineless kind of, you know, body. It doesn't mean you're wimpy. It doesn't mean you wear polyester all the time and, you know, have the Jesus smile going, praise the Lord. That's a stereotype. But the deeper meaning of this word meek actually describes an animal whose natural wild spirit has to be broken by a trainer. That's where this word comes from. An animal whose natural kind of wild spirit has to be broken by a trainer. And why do you think animals are broken by a trainer? So they can be useful in whatever they do. The best way, I think, to explain this is by looking at the image of a stallion. An incredible horse that is powerful and strong. They can run like the wind. They can plow any field just like that. Folks, this is not a picture of a weak animal. But a tame stallion, that's the image of meekness that Jesus is referring to. So meekness, when it comes down to it, is defined this way from the text. Strength under control. You have strength. But it's under control. Just like a tamed stallion. Just like those thoroughbred racers. They're tamed enough to know how to accomplish the race. You see, folks, being meek is more than just being the nice guy. It's actually courage under fire. It's strength and control. It's conviction. But with a gentle spirit... That comes from God. See, you can't be meek by yourself. Did you realize that? You can try all you want, but you can't be meek by yourself. 
Meekness is given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ to you and I. To be meek means that you listen to Christ and you live out his life. The Bible puts it this way. Christ, who suffered for you, is your example. Follow in his steps. He never sinned and he never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. When he suffered, he did not threaten to get even. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. To be meek means rather than trying to seek revenge or retaliation for somebody who has done you wrong, you simply say, I'll leave it into the hands of God. I'll let him be the final judge. And Jesus said, when you do this, you will be blessed because blessed are the meek. You know what's so cool, though, is that Jesus didn't just say these words. He actually modeled them. He lived them out. And why did Jesus model meekness out of anything that he could have modeled? Well, the reason is this. Meekness has always been God's way for humanity. Meekness has always been God's way for humanity. There's a key figure in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Moses. He's the one that in the movie The Ten Commandments is the guy who is used by God to separate the Red Sea so that the Jewish people could walk across. He was a great leader, a deliverer of the Jews. He was a shepherd of God's people. And this is what the Bible says about him. Now, the man Moses was very, what? Meek. More than any other man. More than all men that were on the face of the earth. Now, what I want you to understand is that with God, meekness wins. With God, meekness wins. It's what separated Moses from everyone else, not only in the world at that time, but in the whole New or the whole Old Testament. Moses is separated by everyone else because he had a meek spirit. And God says, that's the type of heart that I want my followers to have. Now fast forward into the New Testament. And Jesus comes at his greatest teaching, and he stands before the people, and he says what? He says, happy, blessed are the meek. Now, why would Jesus do this? Why would he call us to have a lifestyle of meekness? Because he was calling us to a different lifestyle. He was calling us to live at a higher level than what the rest of the world is living. He's calling us to get beyond all the surfacey stuff that the world says is important, like money, sex, and power. And he says he's calling us to make a commitment choice, a choice that is committed to meekness and humility. And it's not like you can walk out of here today and go, got that one, I'm meek. I mean, I'm going to be meek now. I'm meek. It's not like you can just flip on a switch and go, yep, I'm meek. You know what? I'm one of the most meekest people I know. Look how meek I am. Look at me. I'm meek. No. That's not meekness. Meekness is when I look at myself in light of who God is. That's all I can ever do. I look at myself in the mirror and then I look to God and I think, how righteous, how holy, how glorifying He is, how honorable He is. 
And he's the only reason I have a shot in this thing called life. You see, practically speaking, meekness is not something that you can obtain on your own. It's a gift from God, given through Jesus Christ. But when we have that, we can live out meekness in two different ways, practically. The first way is this. Meekness is confidence in who I am. It's a confidence in who I am. Now, I'm not talking about this kind of self-help kind of confidence. You know, you get a whole bunch of people in a room, and you tell them, you are going to be confident. And then you tell them, say, confident. Everybody says, confident. And then pretty soon, what happens is people get their self-esteem up, but then they become arrogant and prideful, because self-help alone will not cut it. Or people who walk around all the time saying things like this, who dat, who dat, who dat say going to beat those saints? If I hear who dat one more time, I'm going to explode on somebody, you know? I just can't stand it. It's not a cocky confidence, but rather it's a confidence of who I am in light of who God is. You get that? It's who you are, not because of yourself, but in light of who God is. Now let me get real personal here just for a second. Let me tell you who I am. I am Christopher John Bunch. I am a sinner. I am not perfect. In fact, I'm far from it. I often think evil thoughts. I misuse my words, and I hurt people around me all the time. I'm fearful many times. I struggle trying to please other people much of my life. I have things about myself that I don't even like. And I can be the king of selfishness any day. Now, some of you are probably thinking at this point, wow, can we have Chuck Mott come up there again? I mean, (laughs) you know, he had it a lot more together than this guy, you know. But you know what you probably really should be thinking? Is wow. That's me. That's me to a T. I'm the same. Folks, meekness is the confidence in who I am. I'm confident that I'm not God. I know I'm far, far away from Him. Because look at this next verse. It says, God, your God is the God of all gods. He's the master of all masters. A God immense and powerful And awesome. That's not me. Meekness is confidence in who I am, though. And I know who I'm not. And I'm not God. A second thing that meekness also is, is a confidence in whose I am. In whose I am. Now, underneath all my flub-ups and mess-ups and screw-ups, underneath all of my wickedness in my life, There is an amazing wonder of whose I am. Do you know whose I am? I can be very confident about this. I am a child of the Most High God. I'm a child of the King. I am one of God's children. Before this world was ever created, God was thinking of Chris Bunch. He was thinking about him. 
And he said, I want to adopt you. I want to welcome you. I want you to be a part of my family. And what you have to do is you have to realize that Jesus Christ himself took on everything that you have, Chris. And so all those ugly things about you, if you turn to me, I'll give you life. And I made that commitment. And what he did on the cross, I fully accept. I know the only way I'll make it in life, the only way I'll make it in the next hour, is by turning to the one who knows me best and who loves me most. And when I do that, I experience such a great freedom in being one of God's children. Now, I'm not a creation of God. There are six billion creations of God in this world. But when you claim Jesus Christ as Lord, you become something more than a creation. You become his child, a child of the Most High God. The Bible says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is a child of God. You see, when I surrendered my life to Jesus, I took on a brand new identity. I'm a child of the King. And that invitation is open to every single person in this place this morning. If you'll surrender your life if you'll admit your brokenness, if you'll be willing to humbly commit your life to Jesus. And when you do this, folks, it's not a sign of weakness, but it's a sign of confident humility in knowing who you are and whose you are. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time breaking down our third choice, the commitment choice. And I just want you to know that at the end of our time together, I'll give you an opportunity to make a commitment to Jesus. And the reason I'm saying it now is because I don't like that bait and hook, uh, kind of bait and uh, uh, switch kind of stuff. You know, you kind of bait and switch and you think, man, he never told me it was coming. I want you to know it's coming. At the end of our time together, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a commitment to the one who knows you best and loves you most. Now let's look at this kind of third choice. The first word is the word Consciously. Consciously. And in that space, right beside it, what I'd encourage you to write in is, it's my decision. It's my decision. You see, some of you assume your commitment to Jesus Christ is based on what I call unconscious heritage. Unconscious heritage. Meaning that you take on a position of faith, but it's all based on your heritage. I mean, I've talked to some of you, and you'll say things like this. Well, my parents drug me to church every single Sunday, and so I guess I'm a Christian. I must be. Or we're a Christian nation, and I live in a Christian nation, and so I'm a citizen here, so that makes me a Christian. Or I've got a brother-in-law who's a pastor, And all of a sudden, you play the bloodline card thinking that that's the way that you've come to Christ. Or maybe your middle name is Christian. Or you have one of those fish on the back. Or you have a bumper sticker. And that makes you a Christian. But if you want a healing choice, the thing that we've been talking about over the past three weeks, it requires a conscious choice. It's your decision. It's your choice. Not your mom's. Not your dad's. No one else's. It's your choice. So consciously, it's your decision. I consciously what? I consciously choose to commit. 
And right next to choose to commit, you could put over and over. Over and over, I do this. I've got to choose to commit every single day. You see, it's 24-7, 365 days a year that you have choices to make every single day. Now, a lot of people will say, well, I made a choice. I think it was back in 1987, maybe 1988. I made a choice. I made a commitment to God. That's not it. Because what they do is they think, well, I'm in. I'm in. But folks, that's a wrong way to look at this. Choosing to commit is doing it over and over again. Waking up tomorrow, 24-7, 365 days a year. I'm making a commitment each day to make a choice. And this is the choice. Do I choose God's agenda or do I choose my own agenda? And we make that every day, all the time. Tomorrow, your boss walks in and they just start reaming you a new one. And you've got a choice. You can go off on them right in front of their face. Or maybe you can go in the break room and you can start talking about that person. And the choice is up to you. It's your choice. You're sitting at your computer and someone in your family or a friend of yours has ticked you off. And you start kind of you know, putting an email together. And it's mean and nasty and horrible. And you're just thinking, I know if I send this, it's going to hurt them. And you just get ready to click the button that says send, and you have a choice. Do you send it or do you delete it? It's your choice. You've got a friend who's hurting. They're hurting big time. And this week, your schedule isn't that packed, but you're like, I don't know if I want to deal with that. It's going to take energy away from me. It's your choice. Maybe they're struggling financially, and you have money to be able to help them out, but you're like, if I do that, then I'm going to have to go to their house. It's going to take away my free time, and it's your choice. Somebody invites you to a small group. I'm inviting every single person here right now. There's a small group for you. And you think, you know what? He has been saying that, and they've been talking about this, but I just don't want to do it. Now, you know, in me asking you right now, you're like, man, God has been placing that on my life. I need to obey that. I need to be a part of a community, to be loved, to be cared for, to know some other people, to go through life being built up. But you've got 25 reasons of why you can't do it, and it all comes down to being busy. So do you obey? It's your choice. Over and over and over again, there is choice after choice every single day. You approach a stop sign. It's a four-way stop. No one else is around. No one else is around. Do you just kind of go on through it, or do you stop? It's your choice. You're walking your dog in a park. You see the sign, pick up the poopies. And you have your little bag, and you look down, and yep, sure enough, and you just kind of do a fake one. You ever see people do that? I see it all the time. They just act like they put something in there and didn't keep on walking out. Every day, it's your choice. What do you choose? And folks, for our purposes, the most critical choice of this whole campaign is this. Is it my way, or is it God's way? It's only two choices, my way or God's way. The Bible says this, 
don't you realize that whatever you choose to obey becomes your master? You can choose sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God and receive his approval. Folks, you've got to make the choice over and over and over again. Okay, so I consciously choose to commit, and then the biggest part of this whole phrase is the second part. The toughest part is this. All my life and will to Christ's care and control. All my life and will to Christ's care and control. And the phrase right there that you can write in is the word everything. Everything to him. This is the part of the phrase, folks, that separates people who are committed to Christ daily, who wake up and they seek to know him better, and those people who are just kind of occasional fans of Jesus. When Jesus works on my life, yay. If not, I go on. The phrase that is key is the word all. All means everything. Nothing held back. Everything that you've got, no holds bar. Because choosing a commitment to Jesus Christ is not just a half measure, but he wants everything. Jesus puts it this way. So no one can become my disciple without giving up, what's it say? Everything for me. Now these aren't my words. I'm just the messenger here, okay? These are his words. And Jesus wants all of your life. Let me just kind of close by giving you an illustration. How many of you have ever received a ribbon for anything? Maybe it was for a sporting event or 4-H or, uh, you know, being a Boy Scout, Cub Scout. Ribbon just for being you. I don't know. But I have a feeling that all of us probably have received some ribbon In our life, you give blood, you know, you get a ribbon, anything. Now, growing up as a kid, I wasn't smart enough to be in 4-H. And my dad had had kind of a run-in with the Boy Scouts early on in life. And I was kind of blackballed my whole life uh, from Boy Scouts. But the one thing that I could do was I could run. And if you run in track or cross country, the thing that they give you is what? Ribbons. I'll never forget field day. I think I was in third or uh, fourth grade. And uh, field day is just kind of this mini Olympics. And uh, there would be these different events that any kid could participate in. The 50-yard dash, the shuttle run, which I think was always just the teachers wanting to see how many times a kid could pick up a wood block you know, and hit another kid or do something like that. And the frisbee throw and the softball throw. Now, I entered the softball throw because that was the one event where uh, both girls and boys were in it, and I thought, man, I'll beat somebody. Only to come at the end of it all, every boy beat me and some of the girls beat me, okay? Softball throw. Don't ever do it to your kid, you know? It's horrible. So... There I'm feeling kind of lonely, and, you know, you had to sign up for these. And I'm walking around field day, and I see this thing, 600-meter run. And there's, like, no one over there. Now, I had no idea how far 600 meters was as a third grader. But I went over there, and I signed up my name. And then 
they said, time to run. And it just felt like we ran forever. And, you know, I was like Forrest Gump. People were on the side going, run, Chris, run, you know. And I'm just running all around. And somehow I won. And I got the first ribbon of my life, a blue ribbon. And then when uh, junior high came, I ran track and cross country, and I got more ribbons. And then I went to high school, and I got more ribbons. And I even ran in college for two years, and then I got more ribbons. And during this whole time of my life, there were people also that were in uh, Boy Scouts, and they would get these badges for different things that they would do. And you'd get a badge on your uniform, or maybe 4-H, you know, they get different patches, and you would get all of these. Now, the reason I'm saying this is this, folks. I think sometimes what can happen with our relationship with Jesus Christ is he can simply be another ribbon. Or he can just be another badge that we put on our arm. I mean, in our heads, we think, I went to church today, ribbon. I gave to that Haiti thing, ribbon. I'm in a small group, ribbon. I occasionally read the Bible, badge. And so we just have these Jesus ribbons, these Jesus badges that we wear. And folks, the reason that many of us get stuck in our hurts, habits, and hang-ups is because Jesus just becomes another ribbon. Something that we check off. A patch on our arm. It's a cool patch. Everybody likes a Jesus patch. But for many of us, the ribbons or the badges that we put more time and effort into might be our work badge or our exercise badge or our animal lover badge or our shopper badge or our socially conscious badge or our family badge. Now, all of these badges are good. They're important things. They're roles that we play in life. But the problem is, is that many times when we have hurts and habits and hang-ups in our life, what happens is all those badges become just as important as the Jesus badge. And rarely do we make him first. You see, the third commitment, folks, is about committing to all, everything. That it's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus is not an extra. He is everything. I have a dad badge that I wear. I take it seriously. I try to do the best I can. But the only reason I try to be a good dad is because I want to be a better follower of Jesus. Does that make sense? You see, everything that we try to do is not for that badge, but it's are we going to please Him? Will we honor Him? Will we follow Him with all, everything that we have? So let me ask you this morning, are you willing to make Jesus everything? Will you commit all of your life and your will to His care and His control? Will you make His badge the most important badge that you have in life? That He's the master of all things in your life. You'll make Him Lord of all things. I hope you will. Now, I know many of you here today, you're like, well, I've done that, Chris. I've stepped along, along the, uh, uh, across the line of faith. I've made a commitment already. But maybe what you've done is you've just been kind of wearing these badges of doing stuff, but you haven't been committed really to him. Maybe Jesus has just become another badge and not all of your life. And I'd encourage you to recommit your life to him today.
Folks, the next five weeks, everything that we're going to learn, I wouldn't tell you this if I didn't love you and weren't your friend and pastor, but everything hinges on this point, not only for the next five weeks, but for your whole life. And so I'm going to lead us through a time of prayer. And I'm just like you, whether you're here today and you're checking out God for the first time or you're recommitting today, that this would be your prayer, not mine. Let's pray. And you can just kind of pray this silently to your heart. Lord, it's such a wonderful gift to be alive. Thank you for your love for us. We don't take it for granted. And so we just pause today and we say thank you for all that you've done. And God, for some of us who are sitting here today, when I started talking about that heritage, that unconscious heritage, we're like, man, that's me. I'm not sure I've ever done that. Or maybe you're here for the first time and you're just like, you know what? I want that. I want that kind of freedom in my life. You might just pray silently to yourself. God, I want a relationship with you. Come into my life. Forgive me. As much as I can understand, I acknowledge, Jesus, that you died on the cross for everything in my life, all the mess-ups. And I turn your way. Help me to begin a new life today. And for others of you, you may have already made a commitment, but you know that it's just been a badge and not kind of all of your life, everything. And so you might pray this to yourself, silently to God. God, forgive me. I'm sorry for just being one of many who just kind of put on a badge, but I want you to be everything. Whatever it is, God, I want to do it. I'm in. I recommit. I commit to the journey of following you. God, regardless of where we're at on the spectrum, we thank you that today no person would leave with not knowing who they are, a child of God, and whose they are, a child of God who you constantly love and care for. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is a great day in the life of the jar as three people will be coming to be baptized. And uh, I'll invite them to come forward and uh, then we'll kind of head down to the pool. You know, when I found out that it was baptism day and it was Valentine's Day, I was really excited because I thought this really gives an opportunity for us to show love to God and for these three people uh, to be able to do that in a really cool way. And baptism isn't an end point, but it's uh, a beginning point of a commitment that I say I'm in, kind of like what we talked about today, consciously choosing to commit all of my life to Christ. And so, Jimmy, if you want to come over here... uh, We'll invite you guys to kind of share uh, your vows by just saying, I will, uh, as I share these with you this morning. 
Do you believe that Jesus is God's son? And do you receive and trust him as your Savior and Lord? And will you repent of your sins and by God's grace commit to live according to the example and teachings of Jesus? And will you promise to read your Bible regularly, pray daily, and share the loving message of Jesus to others? And will you be faithful to the church that Jesus died for by serving, giving, praying for, and committing to the vision of the jar? And just like everyone who's ever been baptized here at the jar, we have a little declaration. And uh, I'll go ahead and read one part of it, and then you can follow uh, after me. But these are your words. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I am sorry for my sins and turn away from them and turn towards God. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross so that I can be forgiven and set free. I now invite your Holy Spirit into my life. I love you, Jesus. Well, that's part one. Part two happens down at the pool. And uh, we'll uh, let you guys go first if you want to. This is Jimmy and Ricky and Wendy. Let's all give them a hand. And it's a great day for the baptism. It's also a great day because somebody left their keys or dropped their keys outside. So if you want these, no, if you want these, you can come up here and get them. I'll leave them right here. And if you have kids, please pick them up. Uh, before the baptism, um, we won't watch them all day, I promise you. Uh, hey, have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. Thanks, guys. We'll see-